Chapter 29 of Struggles and Triumphs, or Forty Years' Recollections of P.T. Barnum. Written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. Struggles and Triumphs of P.T. Barnum, Chapter 29, in Germany. After a pleasant and successful season of several weeks in London and in the provinces, I took the little general into Germany, going from London to Paris and from thence to Strasbourg and Baden-Baden. I had not been in Paris since the times of King Louis-Philippe, and while I noticed great improvements in the city, in the opening of the new boulevards and the erection of noble buildings, I could see also with sorrow that there was less personal liberty under the emperor napoleon the third than there was under the citizen king the custom-house officials were overbearing and unnecessarily rigid in their exactions the police were overwatchful and intolerant the screws were turned on everywhere i had a lot of large pictorial placards of general tom thumb which were merely in transitu as I wished only to forward them to Germany to be used as advertisements of the forthcoming exhibitions. These the French Customs House officers determined to examine in detail, and when they discovered that one of the pictures represented the general in the costume of the first Napoleon, the whole of the bills were seized and sent to the prefecture of police. I was compelled to stay three days in Paris before I could convince the prefect of police that there was no treason in the tom thumb pictures i was very glad to get out of paris with my baggage and taking a seat in the express train on the paris and strasbourg railway i soon forgot my custom-house annoyances one would suppose that by this time i had had enough to do with clocks to last me my lifetime but passing one night and a portion of day at strasbourg i did not forget or fail to witness the great church clock which is nearly as famous as the cathedral itself. At noon precisely, a mechanical cock crows. The bell strikes, figures of the twelve apostles appear and walk in procession, and other extraordinary evidences of wonderful mechanical art are daily exhibited by this curious old clock. From Strasbourg we went to Baden-Baden. I had been abroad so much that I could understand and manage to speak French, but I had never been in Germany, and I did not know six words of the language of that country. As a consequence, I dreaded to pass the custom house at Kell, nearly opposite Strasbourg, and the first town on the German border at that point. When the diligence stopped at this place, I fairly trembled. I knew that I had no baggage which was rightfully subject to duty, as I had nothing but my necessary clothing and the package of placards, and lithographs illustrating the general's exhibitions. This was the package that had given me so much trouble in Paris, and as the official was examining my trunks, I assured him in French that I had nothing subject to duty, but he made no reply and deliberately handled every article in my luggage. He then cut the strings to the large packages of show bills. I asked him in French whether he understood that language. He gave a grunt, which was the only audible sound I could get out of him, and then laid my showbills and lithographs on his scales as if to weigh them. I was almost distracted when an English gentleman who spoke German kindly offered to act as my interpreter. Please to tell him, said I, 
that those bills and lithographs are not articles of commerce, that they are simply advertisements. My English friend did as I requested, but it was of no use. The custom-house officer kept piling them upon his scales. I grew more excited. Please tell him I give them away, I said. The translation of my assertion into German did not help me. A double grunt from the functionary was the only response. Tom Thumb, meanwhile, jumped about like a little monkey, for he was fairly delighted at my worry and perplexity. Finally, I said to my new-found English friend, Be good enough to tell the officer to keep the bills if he wants them, and that I will not pay duty on them anyhow. He was duly informed of my determination, but he was immovable. He lighted his huge Dutch pipe, got the exact weight, and marking it down, handed it to a clerk who copied it on his book, and solemnly passed it over to another clerk, who copied it on still another book. A third clerk then took it and copied it on to a printed bill the size of a half-letter sheet, which was duly stamped in red ink with several official devices. By this time I was in a profuse perspiration, and as the document passed from clerk to clerk, I told them they need not trouble themselves to make out a bill, for I would not pay it. They would get no duty, and they might keep the property. To be sure, I could not spare the placards for any length of time, for they were exceedingly valuable to me as advertisements, and I could not easily have duplicated them in Germany. But I was determined that I would not pay duties on articles which were not merchandise. Every transfer, therefore, of the bill to a new clerk gave me a fresh twinge, for I imagined that every clerk added more charges, and every charge was a tighter turn to the vice which held my fingers. Finally, the last clerk defiantly thrust in my face the terrible official document on which were scrawled certain cabalistic characters signifying the amount of money I should be forced to pay to the German government before I could have my property. I would not touch it, but resolved I would really leave my packages until I could communicate with one of our consuls in Germany, and I said as much to the English gentleman who had kindly interpreted for me. He took the bill, and examining it, burst into a loud laugh. Why, it is but fifteen kreutzers, he said. How much is that? I asked, feeling for the golden sovereigns in my pocket. Sixpence, was the reply. I was astonished and delighted, and as I handed out the money, I begged him to tell the officials that the custom-house charge would not pay the cost of the paper on which it was written, but this was a very fair illustration of sundry red-tape dealings in other countries as well as in Germany. I found Baden a delightful little town, cleaner and neater than any city I had ever visited. I learned afterwards that Mr. Benazet, the lessee of the Curacao and Gambling House, was compelled annually to expend large sums for keeping the streets and public places clean. Indeed, he could well afford to do so, as one would readily perceive upon witnessing the vast amounts of money which were daily lost by the men and women of nearly all nations upon his tables of roulette and rouge et noir. The town has all the characteristics and accompaniments of a first-class watering-place, a theater, public library, and several very fine hotels. The springs are presumed to be the inducements which draw hundreds of invalids to Baden-Baden every summer, but the gaming tables are the real attractions to thousands of far weaker persons who spend the entire season in gambling. It is no unusual thing to see ladies sitting around these gaming tables, 
betting their silver and gold pieces until they lose five hundred or a thousand dollars while men frequently invest many times these amounts if they happen to be winners they are very sure to be tempted to try again and thus in the long run succumb to the advantage which is given in the game to the bankers over the betters the games open at eleven o'clock every morning sundays included and close at eleven o'clock at night players have been known to sit at the table without once rising even to eat or to drink through the entire day and night session very early in the day however many a player finds himself penniless and in such case if he does not step to some quiet place and blow his brains out the proprietor of the hell will present to him money enough to carry him at least fifty miles from baden-baden a few days before my arrival a young lady hung herself indeed several suicides occur in all of the german spas every year from the one cause ruined by gambling but so callous do the players as well as the car dealers become that i can easily credit a story told me at hamburg the greatest gambling place in europe a frenchman sitting at the table where scores of others were betting their money lost his last sou and immediately drew a razor from his pocket and cut his throat the circumstance was scarcely sufficient to induce the players to raise their eyes from the cards it was a mere incident an episode in matters more important a sheet was thrown over the body and as the servants quietly removed the corpse someone slipped into the vacated chair the dealer crying out in french make your bets gentlemen and the play went on as usual in due time when our preliminary arrangements were completed the general's attendants carriage ponies and liveried coachmen and footmen arrived at baden-baden and were soon seen in the streets the excitement was intense and increased from day to day several crowned heads princes lords and ladies who were spending the season at baden-baden with a vast number of wealthy pleasure-seekers and travellers crowded the saloon in which the general exhibited during the entire time we remained in the place the charges for admission were much higher than had been demanded in any other city some time before i left america i received several letters from a young man residing in the black forest in regard to a wonderful orchestrion which he was building and which he wished to sell or send to me for exhibition when he saw the accounts of my arrival with tom thumb at baden-baden he announced his willingness to bring his orchestrion and set it up in that place so that i could see and hear it his letter was forwarded to me at frankfurt and i replied that my engagements were made many days in advance that my time was invaluable but that if he would have his orchestrion set up and in perfect order at such a time on such a day i would be there promptly to see it arriving at the appointed time i found that he had not completed his work the beautiful case was up but the interior was unfinished i was much disappointed but not nearly so much as was the orchestrion builder oh mr barnum said he i have worked with my men all last night and all to-day and i will work all night again and have it in readiness to-morrow morning if you will only stay i will go down on my knees to you yes mr barnum i will cut off one of my fingers for you if you will only wait but i could not wait even under this strong and certainly extraordinary inducement 
and was obliged to return to my engagement without hearing the orchestrion which i afterwards learned was sold and set up in st petersburg from baden-baden we went to other celebrated german spas including ems hamburg and wiesbaden these are all fashionable gambling as well as watering places and during our visits they were crowded with visitors from all parts of europe our exhibitions were attended by thousands who paid the same high prices that were charged for admission at baden-baden and at wiesbaden among many distinguished persons the king of holland came to see the little general these exhibitions were among the most profitable that had ever been given and i was able to remit thousands of dollars to my agents in the united states to aid in repurchasing my real estate and to assist in taking up such clock notes as were offered for sale a short but very remunerative season at frankfurt on the main the home and starting place of the great house of the rothschilds assisted me largely in carrying out these purposes there was the greatest difficulty however in getting permission to hold our exhibitions in frankfurt when i applied for a permit at the office of the commissary of police i was told that office hours were ended for the day and that the chief official who alone could give me the permit had gone home to dinner as i was in a great hurry to begin i went to the residence of the commissary where i was met at the door by a gorgeously arrayed flunkey to whom i stated my business and who informed me that i could on no account see the distinguished official till dinner was over i waited one hour and a half by my watch for that mighty man to dine and then he condescended to admit me to his presence when i had stated my business he demanded to know why i had not applied to him at his office in the proper hours declaring that he would do no business with me at his house and that i must come to him to-morrow i went and after a great deal of questioning and delay i received this sought-for license to exhibit but i have never seen more red tape wound up on a single reel all my men all tom thumb's attendants the general and myself in addition to showing our passports were obliged to register our names ages occupations and what not in a huge book and to answer all sorts of questions at last we were permitted to go and we opened our doors to the throng that came to see the general but a day or two after our exhibitions began came a messenger with a command that i should appear before the commissary of police i was very much frightened i confess i was sure that some of my men had been doing or saying something which had offended the authorities and although i was conscious that my own conduct had been circumspect i started for the police office in fear and trembling on the way i met mr henry j raymond editor of the new york times who was in company with a gentleman from ohio to whom he introduced me and thereupon i stated my trouble and my opinion that i was about to be fined imprisoned possibly beheaded i knew not what don't be alarmed said mr raymond we will keep an eye on the proceedings and if you get into trouble we will try to get you out arriving at headquarters i was solemnly shown into the private office of the commissary who asked me to be seated and then rose and locked the door this movement was by no means calculated to calm my agitation and i at once exclaimed in the best french i could summon sir i demand an interpreter we do not need one he replied i can understand your french and you can understand mine 
I wish to consult you confidentially on a very private matter, and one that concerns me deeply. Somewhat reassured at this remarkable announcement, I begged him to proceed, which he did as follows. Do not be uneasy, sir, as this matter wholly affects me. I must state to you in entire secrecy that the half of my whole fortune is invested in the bonds of one of your American railways, giving me the name of the road, and as I have received no interest for a long time, I am naturally alarmed for the safety of my property. I wish to know if the road is good for anything, and if so, why the interest on the bonds is not paid. I was happy to tell him that I had met that very morning a gentleman from Ohio who was well acquainted with the conditions of this road, which was in his vicinity at home, and that I would speedily derive from him the desired information. The commissary overwhelmed me with profuse thanks, adding, Remember, the half of my entire fortune is at stake. Impressed with the magnitude of the loss he might be called upon to suffer, I ventured, as I was going out, to ask him the amount of his investment. Four thousand dollars was his reply. When I thought of his liveried lackeys, his house, his style, his dignity, and his enormous consequence, I could not but smile to think that all these things were supported on his small salary and an entire fortune of $8,000, one half of which was invested in the bonds of a doubtful American railway company. We exhibited at Mayence and several other places in the vicinity, reaping golden harvests everywhere, and then went down the Rhine to Cologne. The journey down the river was very pleasant, and we duly did the scenery and lions on the way. The boats were very ill-provided with sleeping accommodations, and one night, as I saw our party must sit up, I suggested that we should play a social game of euchre if we could get the cards. The clerk of the boat was prompt in affording the gratifying intelligence that he had cards to sell, and I bought a pack, paying him a good round price. Immediately thereafter, the clerk, pocketing the money, stated that it was nine o'clock, and according to the regulations, he must turn out all the lights, which he did, leaving us to play cards, if we wished to, in the dark. The slowness of the boat was a great annoyance, and on one occasion I said to the captain, Look here, confound your slow old boat. I have a great mind to put on an opposition American line and burst up your business. He knew me, and knew something of Yankee enterprise, and he was evidently alarmed, but a thought came to his relief. You cannot do it, he triumphantly exclaimed. The government will not permit you to run more than nine miles an hour. We remained at Cologne only long enough to visit the famous cathedral, and to see other curiosities and works of art, and then pushed on to Rotterdam and Amsterdam. End of chapter 29 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen Gilbert, Arizona.